What's going on, guys? It's Jordan Stoltz, the host of the Fitness, Food, and Freedom podcast. Welcome to another episode, everybody. Today is a Motivation Monday. It is episode number 106. Motivation Monday. And I am happy to bring another interview to you guys. The Maggie Thorne interview, American Ninja Warrior, uh, that went over really well, got some more listeners from that. Welcome to all you new listeners, and thank you for subscribing to the podcast. I am and really enjoying doing these interviews. Now, it was maybe a little rusty with Maggie. Maybe it was, you know, I think we still got some great information out there. Uh, this is, you know, these are some of my first interviews I've ever done, but it's a great journey and a great way to grow the podcast and a great way to grow my podcasting skills. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying getting in touch with some other people in the industry and into the same things I am and getting their opinions on things and getting to know what they do with their clients, what they do with themselves and their own health and fitness regimen. And it's just a great way to learn. It's a great way to be taught and a great way to be coached. And I hope a great way to help you guys. That's what it's all about. I made this podcast to help as many people as possible. And I think bringing in guests and bringing in interviews are really going to help you guys get more opinions on things and maybe get different perspectives that I can't give. Today is another interview, like I said, episode 106. This one is with Sal Stefano. If you don't know who Sal is, if you need to head over to the podcast Mind Pump on iTunes and other platforms, that podcast is one I've been listening to off and on for quite a while. And he's very, very knowledgeable, very well read, and very... Very uh, insightful on different topics in health and fitness, especially I enjoyed hearing his thoughts on nutrition and your relationship to your body, to food, to exercise, stuff I talk about all the time. But I really enjoyed just sitting back and letting him talk for a lot of this interview. He's just soaking it all in. I really hope you guys, you guys enjoyed today's episode with Mind Pump Sal, Sal Stefano from Mind Pump. If you enjoy the interview, subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes. If you leave a review on iTunes, you'll be entered to win a free Triple F t-shirt and that really helps the podcast grow as well. Thank you so much for all the support and thank you for listening to today's interview with Sal Stefano. Welcome to the Fitness, Food, and Freedom Podcast. Keep listening for some awesome advice on health, motivation, and becoming a better version of yourself. Be sure to tune in every week for Motivation Monday, Workout Wednesday, and Foodie Friday. Behind the mic today, your host, a strength and conditioning coach, husband, and businessman, Jordan Stoltz. Well, I guess tell me about tell me about you specifically. I know a little bit about like the Mind Pump podcast growth and kind of how it began, but just tell me about you, tell all my listeners about you and how you got into fitness and then Mind Pump. Well, I initially um started exercising or working out because I felt uh I was too skinny and and I wasn't strong. I was young. I was only maybe 13 or 14 years old when I started. So I was very insecure about, uh, you know, how I looked and, you know, uh, my lack of strength, uh, if you will. So I got into it. My dad had a weight set in the backyard. And by nature, I'm uh, an inquisitive person and I like to learn and study. So right off the bat, I bought all the information or, or books I could on the topic. At the time, you know, you're talking about the mid-90s, mid to early 90s, uh, the best information that was out there was you know, Muscle and Fitness and Flex Magazine. And I would buy books by like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it was the Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding, which still to this day, I consider one of the best uh, just free weight exercise manuals you'll find. I mean, they've got like every free weight exercise in there you can think of. And and some that you probably haven't seen because uh, they fell out of favor as, you know, weight training got more, more modern. Um, although, uh, the newer versions may be different. I, the one I had was the original kind of older version. And so I'd go through that and read it and study it. Um, I'd go to the library and read everything I could and, and just, and train. Um, and you know, a lot of the information that I learned was wrong as I later, uh, you know, became aware of a lot of the information we get in the fitness industry is motivated by, uh, you know, big players who are trying to 
either sell you a supplement or sell you, you know, their, their way of thinking. And so, you know, you'd get a lot of just bad information. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, I had to eat, you know, six or seven small meals every day. I thought I had to have just tremendous amount of protein to build muscle. I thought supplements were the answer. Of course, I later learned, learned that these were uh, totally false. Um, you know, I'd start off with these body part split routines. Later on, I, f- I realized that the more old school, and when I say old school, I mean pre-anabolic steroids uh, routines were superior, the full body routines that mm-hmm. you saw, you know, the, like the Steve Reeves, Eugene Sandow, you know, some of those guys uh, uh, would follow. Leroy Colbert, you know, these old, old school bodybuilders. Um, but that was my, that was how I started in fitness. Um, and I knew, you know, I was always a natural leader. Um, and so I kind of, uh, figured I was going to be in fitness somehow teaching people how to exercise or, or, or get in better shape. And I had to, cause I didn't know much about the careers in fitness. I thought, um, you know, the best, you know, position for me would be, uh, as a physical therapist that was professional. Um, I would be able to work with exercise. Uh, but you know, I was a kid, so, um, you know, I, I was in high school and, as soon as I turned 18, I said, I, you know, I, I thought, you know, why don't I get a job at the gym that I work out at, which was 24 fitness as a personal trainer, because it's, it's kind of, it's going to help me be a better physical therapist, right? I'm going to get my foot in the door and get certified. I love the gym anyway. It was, uh, you know, I thought they probably make decent money. I actually had no idea. And, um, 18 years old, I walked into the, to the gym and, uh, requested for the manager. He comes out and I shook his hand and I was always real assertive. And I said, Hey, I want to be a trainer here. And he's like, what's your experience? And I said, oh, I've been working out for four years. And he said, well, do you have any sales experience? I said, no. I said, but, uh, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And I think he liked that. So mm-hmm. he hired me and, um, it was, uh, the first time in my life that I had done something where I truly felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. It's a very, it's a very interesting feeling and you know i hate to say it but a lot of people never really get that they never experience that uh, Mm -hmm. throughout their entire lives um but a lot of us do a lot of us will do something and it's just like you just you just know like holy shit this is what i'm supposed to do and that's what it was like as a personal trainer my very first uh day or second day i believe um i sold more training in that one day then the the trainer had done uh the top trainer in the club had done for the whole month and um it was just right away i was addicted i loved it i loved talking to people about fitness i loved the gym had no idea how my pay worked i had no none of that but i just knew i loved it and within a few months um they made me the they offered me management position as a fitness manager and i was managing all these trainers and our my club was just crushing goal and I was making, let's see, 18 years old as a fitness manager. I was making something like projecting to make something like $80,000 that year, which was a shit ton of money back in, you know, 1997, especially for an 18 year old. I just had no concept. Like I had literally no concept of what was a lot of money, what wasn't. Um, and it wasn't really important to me, which is interesting because it kind of, I'm still kind of like that money to me is kind of like a, I, I'm more of a success oriented person, but not necessarily a money oriented person. And I did that uh, for, I want to say I managed the fitness department, I think for like six months. And then I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to like do more. Uh, I'm going to be going, I'm going to college now. I need to, you know, add more classes. And I don't think I can be managing this gym while I do that. So I go to my, my manager and I tell him, hey, listen, I'm going to have to step down because I want to, you know, go to school a little bit more. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. And he goes, you're making, he goes, you're projecting to make like 80 grand. And, you know, he pulls up some some stuff for me and he goes, uh, you know, do you know how much physical therapists make when they get out of school? And I'm like, no. And at the time they made something like 60 or 70. Yeah. He's like, you're making more money than physical therapist is right out of school. I had no idea. And um, so that kind of got my wheels turning a little bit. And then I talked to a member who was a physical therapist and she explained to me the clinical setting, which I had no concept of what that would be like. And she told me, like, you're working in, in a hospital type setting. You're working with people who a lot of them don't want to be there and, you know, people with injuries. And it didn't sound um, like I love the gym, you know. 
And uh, I, I could see that I loved it. I loved, uh, I had a lot of passion for it. I was already making a decent amount of money. So I went back to my manager and I said, well, what's, what's beyond fitness manager? And he goes, well, you can be a general manager and then you can make this much. And then you can, you know, there's the, the sky's the limit. You can move up to all these different positions. So 19 years old, I, I'm running my first club as a general manager. And now I'm making six figures and I'm in fucking, I love it. Fucking love it. I'm killing it. I'm crushing, you know, a couple years later, I decide, uh, I get bored because I, now I want to own something. Like I want to be uh, a gym owner. I had saved up a decent amount of money. And, uh, that's when I had bought my first, uh, share of a major health club. And I did it with a partner of mine and, um, you know, fast forward, you know, I, I sold it, went back to corporate fitness. Then I bought a wellness facility and I did that for about I want to say for about 13 years or so, and uh, had a lot of learning lessons doing that. Um, owning your own business is a completely different, uh, it's a paradigm shift, um, uh, you know, uh, in and of itself. Uh, did that for a little while, and uh, towards the end of that period of time, I start training uh, a client uh, who is Doug. As if, you'll, if you listen to Mind Pump, you know he's our producer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he comes in, he's, he's, he wants to hire me, his chiropractor referred him to me and we start training together and, you know, he's getting good results, all that stuff. And he, uh, had experience working in internet marketing. He'd also worked with, uh, motivational speakers. He actually had done lots of these Tony Robbins seminars and actually, and, and been one of their, the coaches that worked with them. And he tells me, he's, he's like, he goes, man, he goes, you remind me of a lot of the people I've worked with in motivational speaking. He goes, if you ever want to put something together with me that we can sell on the internet, I would be happy to, to do that part of it. You would just have to come up with the program and, and be the one that would represent it. And I thought that was a great idea. I just didn't know, I had no idea uh, what that would look like. Um, six months or so later, this is a true story. I'm, uh, you know, I go through these periods of hypomania where, I'll get into these just fanatical information consuming periods where I will just read and learn and just have ideas and I can annoy the fuck out of people around me because I'm just going crazy with it and I'll talk about it and I'll learn and, and, and usually what comes out of it is I change in some way or I try some other business and uh, I had one of those moments I was up late at night and um I was uh, smoking uh, some cannabis, a particular potent strain, which tends to get my mind flying anyway. And I'm reading uh, this uh, article in the New England Journal of Medicine that is comparing uh, groups of athletes and in, in, in trying to see who's getting, you know, what the what the differences are between them. And one of the groups was a group of athletes that took anabolic steroids but did not work out. So they just gave them steroids and they said, okay, don't work out. And then they compared them to these other groups. And the crazy part of that whole story was that the anabolic steroid taking group built more muscle than the natural group that lifted weights. Now this is over a short period of time. I think it was like a 12 week study. Without doing any training at all. None, none at all. Now the reason why that blew my mind. So I'm, I'm reading this study and I'm just, like I said, I'm surfing the internet and I'm, I'm going crazy. It's probably, I don't know, 1 a.m. And it dawns on me, you know, uh, up until this point, the paradigm that I had understood and and subscribed to when it came to building muscle was that the main driver of muscle growth was damage. You know, you damage your muscle fibers. We've we've been taught this forever, right? You work out, lift weights, damage muscle fibers. Uh, The body sees the damage. It repairs the muscle damage. Then it, it, it builds muscle or overcompensates in order to prevent the same kind of damage from happening in the future. And, and then you, you know, that's why you're stronger. And then you add, you, you, know, you add more weight and you repeat the cycle. You know, this is what we've been told, which is true. That's, that's large. There's, that is also very true. However, this study highlighted that there are other signals that will tell your body to build muscle that are independent of muscle damage. Now, in this particular case, the, the signal was a hormonal one. It was testosterone. So it sparked my, you know, it's, it sparked my mind. And I, I thought to myself, I wonder how many other signals exist that will tell the body to build muscle besides muscle damage. Now, this is important because 
you know, although muscle damage is a very powerful uh, signal that tells your body to build muscle, we're limited. We're limited by the fact that you have damage. I can't just beat the crap out of myself all the time because I won't give my body time to repair and rebuild. And so I'm limited by that. And I knew as a, uh, as a trainer that there were genetic variances, uh, you know, many genetic variances. And one of them was how your ability to recover. And, and, and if you had a great ability to recover, well, you could build more muscle because you could beat your body up more. Well, if I was able to identify other signals that I could tap into besides damage, well, now I can kind of hack the system a little bit. Now I could take the average guy and train them like I normally would, but then on top of it, play with these other signals and he or she should be able to build muscle faster. So it was a theory that I had and I, and I went online and I did a bunch of research and, uh, you know, there were a few things that I, that I learned that do tell the body to build muscle that are independent of muscle damage. Um, what a good example of some of the signals that I identified, or at least some of the actions that can do that is just s the simple act of frequent, uh, you know, movement, uh, frequency, um, you know, mechanical uh, stress that it doesn't even cause damage. So I'll give you an example of that. You, we can see this every day all the time. Uh, you know, you, you have blue collar workers, uh, like a, a plumber or a mechanic, for example, people who work with their hands all the time, they tend to have really muscular hands and forearms. Now, you know, early in their career, I'm sure they broke muscle down and got sore and caused muscle damage. But these people have been doing it for, you know, years or decades. They're not breaking muscle down anymore, but they're still building these muscular forearms. In fact, they probably stopped causing damage to their forearms within the first six months of doing this, you know, job consistently. And I have a lot of blue collar workers in my family and I identified all these different traits. You know, I, I even had some uh, male carriers or male men and women in my family. All of them have muscular calves, obviously, because they walk a lot. So frequency was a big one for me. And I thought, wow, um, I wonder if we can apply this in some way to a routine, to a, tr a traditional routine where we're sending these frequent signals and they'll keep this kind of muscle building signal loud and clear. And then I read other studies showing how when you do work out hard, uh, you know, that, that, that muscle building signal, that, and they measure it as protein synthesis, it peaks at about 48 to 72 hours, and then it drops very quickly, even if you're still recovering. In other words, if you hammer your chest really hard on Monday and you're still sore on Thursday, your muscle building signal has gone down quite a bit, even though you're still recovering. So then I started to understand like, wow, you can recover and not build muscle. Like those are two independent things sometimes. And so I started putting this all together, put together maps, uh, the original maps program, uh, and, uh, showed that to Doug and we started filming, uh, just videos for it. And that was the, uh, the second time I really felt like, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's when I got on camera and started talking. And, uh, you know, we created this program. We had this whole, you know, videos for it, sales, sales videos, promotional videos. And at the time, you know, I had known of this guy uh, whose name is Adam Schaefer, who is also one of my hosts of Mind Pump. Now, he had worked for 24-Hour Fitness right around the time that I did and then after I had left 24-Hour Fitness. And I knew of him because he was another top performer. We were some of the, we were the top performers in this large company. And so we knew of each other, but I'd never really met him. Um, I made contact with him on social media and we started talking, told him about this program, actually wanted his advice on how, or, or at least his opinion on my sales videos and stuff. Cause I knew he was a, a good, uh, communicator and presenter sent him my stuff. He calls me right away and he's like, dude, this is freaking awesome. He's like, the program is, is brilliant. And I love the way you presented it. And we got on the phone and, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes later, we decided we need to do a podcast. And that was the beginning of Mind Pump. We actually met, uh, me, Adam, Justin, who was, uh, uh, a friend of, uh, Adam's and who had worked with Adam before and, uh, sat down in the, in Adam's living room. And that was the third time I realized, uh, that this is what I'm supposed to do. The chemistry was amazing the ideas were flying. We all had the same passion for fitness. We all had understood that there were, that most of the information that is, uh, disseminated in the fitness industry is false. And, uh, we all wanted to just kind of talk the truth. We wanted to be uncensored, which podcasts are freaking amazing for that because 
I don't have to go through a major network. I don't have to get a major sponsor. All you need is some equipment. You can record your podcast. You can say, fuck. You could say, this supplement sucks. You could say, you know, this bodybuilder's full of shit or whatever. You can say whatever you want. Nobody can stop you. And we like that. And we launched Mind Pump. And um, it, the rest is history. And we've been doing it ever since. And that's how you grew, right? I mean, you know, just being able to say anything about the industry unfiltered, right? That was... Yeah, our two uh, biggest episodes um, initially, the ones that kind of... Because when you get on a podcast, and if this is for people who don't know how the, how the whole thing works, when you first get on iTunes, you have, I think, an eight-week period to get um, front page, you know, kind of visibility. Because when you go to your podcast app, you can pull up, you know, first page, you open it up, and it'll, it'll, it'll highlight podcasts. And one of the sections is new and notable. And new and notable is for podcasts that are, you know, and nobody really knows what the algorithm is that they figure, but I'm sure it calculates downloads, it calculates, re, you know, reviews, uh, you know, maybe some other algorithms in terms of, you know, how fast it's growing or whatever. And if you make it within the first eight weeks, if you, if you win or, you know, in this particular category, you'll get front page visibility. And if you get front page visibility, like that's amazing because it's, because now people are seeing you on the front page. They're going to click on your podcast and listen. So we wanted to get in the new and notable section very badly. Um, but we didn't think we would. We thought it was very, very difficult. We just said, look, we're just going to do our best and see what happens. The first two episodes that really kicked ass were two of our, I think, first within our first 10 episodes. One of them was female fitness myths. And that really struck a chord because women in particular have been advertised to so inaccurately in fitness. And, you know, I've been in fitness now professionally for over 20 years and I have seen the evolution of it. And let me tell you, it is fucking hilarious. Like when I first started working in big box gyms, a lot of big gyms had a separate women's area. So you'd go into a gym, you'd have your cardio, your racquetball or whatever that they used to have. Then you'd have your weight room and your machines. And then they'd have a separate room that had machines for women. And what I thought was hilarious was the machines in the women's room were the same as the machines in the men's room, except the weight stacks didn't go up as high and the, the color of the equipment was pink. That was it. <laughs> and, you know, I knew it was bullshit. Like, oh, you know, they're, all they're, they're trying to attract uh, the other demographic because at this time, most people that would go to gyms or at least lift weights were men. You didn't see women doing it. So they're like, how do we attract women? Let's put pink upholstery on our equipment. And they also invented a lot of terminology like uh, tone. Like, how are you going to convince a woman to lift weights, you know, 20, 25 years ago when her idea of lifting weights is Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, no woman in the right mind would touch weights. Nobody wants to look like that. So they created words like toned, you know, you're not going to build muscle if you lift weights with, you know, particular high reps or whatever. You're just going to tone, which means you're going to get really tight and feel good and whatever. And, you know, those of us who understand fitness know that muscles don't tone, they build or they don't. That's it. Like toning is building to a lesser degree. So we talked about all this stuff and more really struck a chord. That episode took off, but it didn't do as well as our, as the second episode I'm about to tell you about that really took off. And that episode was titled, Why Mind Pump Doesn't CrossFit. And the, you know, the CrossFit community and the CrossFit methods, especially early on, we really disliked. As trainers, we saw the injuries. We saw people coming into the gyms. We saw some of the people who were coaching these, these Olympic lifts and these circuits. And the form was horrendous and all this other stuff. And by the way, a lot of it's changed now. Uh, CrossFit has started, has evolved very, very rapidly over the last couple of years and They've implemented some some pretty good changes, and there's better coaches. I think the bad ones are really – they're starting to fail, so they're kind of phasing out. But even two years ago, man, you would go into a CrossFit box, and you'd see these guys doing circuits with, you know, hang power cleans and snatches. And as anybody who understands exercise knows, those are the most complex exercises you could ever learn. It takes, you know, a long time to learn how to do them right. And if you put them in a circuit, which are fatigue-based, the first thing that goes out the window is your form. And mm -hmm. if your form goes out with a snatch, it's not like your form going out with a curl. You're going to hurt yourself. So we talked a lot of shit. We had a lot of fun in that episode. We were very raw. And the next day, uh, I get a message from 
CrossFit headquarters, which was <laughs> so you remember the three of us unknown, nobody knows who we are. Just start this podcast. We don't, you know, we're like, whatever, let's see what happens. CrossFit is this beast, this behemoth yeah. of a company. You guys must have flipped out. This huge company, right? Yeah. And, you know, they don't, like, who, they don't know who we are. Nobody knows who we are. And I get a message from the CrossFit headquarters. And it's the real, I mean, first I'm like, this is not them. And I go double check and, oh, yeah, no, it's for sure them. And they're telling us to take the episode down uh, or they're going to, you know, because we're, we're, we're saying things that aren't true and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, you know, most people, and here's the, the beautiful thing about uh, my, my co-hosts um, and I, maybe it's, it's a great thing, maybe it's a bad thing, I think it's a good thing, is that we are so, um, God, what, what would be the right word to use? We're so anti-authority and rebellious by nature that the best way to get us to do something is to tell us to do the opposite. Like, and, and I, I, I'm lucky that they're both, uh, it's awesome that they're, that Adam and Justin, my other co they're, they're, they're the same way. Like most people will get a message from a big, big company like CrossFit, which by this point had already been known for taking down, you know, organizations for saying bad things about them. I mean, they, they went after certifications for saying that the CrossFit certifications weren't good or whatever. And they're, they're litigious, right? They tell us to take our shit down, that we're being inaccurate or whatever. Most people would have been like, take it down. Don't fuck with these guys. We're a new podcast. They'll destroy us. We were like, fuck yeah. Like, let's do this. So we record Why Mind Pump Doesn't CrossFit Part 2, and we go even harder. And I screenshot and save some of the conversations I had with CrossFit because I really went back and forth with them and got them to say some pretty ridiculous stuff. And of course, freedom of speech, and we all speak, and it's all of our opinions, so we're we're pretty safe with what we say. So they couldn't do anything, but that episode took off. People shared it like crazy, and we got in the new and notable section, and that gave us some good visibility. And then Mind Pump started growing, and you know, since then we've done a lot of other things to to grow the show. But that was kind of how we got our our start. So let's back up a little bit. We were talking about training. Um, like your signature programs or the maps programs, right? Yes. Um, so you have just really quick, go over the three, four five programs that you guys have. Well, the, the original program was the one that I, uh, had created maps anabolic, which is a, just an overall muscle building, strength building program. You know, a lot of focus on the big lifts. Uh, you know, uh, we, a lot of frequency of training the body, um, you know, we have trigger sessions in there, which are, I had never heard of anyone talking about a form of exercise or a technique like that. So I, I think it's pretty unique to maps and it's phased. So there's different phases. And, uh, we, uh, we took that model and, uh, created other maps programs for more specific, uh, segments of our audience. So then we created maps performance, which is an, an athletic, you know, functional based program. Um, which would, you know, it's basically for people who want to be able to perform like an athlete, you know, multi, you know in different planes of movement, uh, to be able to be also explosive, but also have good control, stability, everything you'd want if you were to be a well-rounded athlete. And then we created Maps Aesthetic, which was for our competitors, uh, you know, our stage presentation competitors, bodybuilders, physique competitors, bikini competitors. Lots more volume, uh, much more focused on the, you know, like the name implies aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the, the program we created after that was really uh, very, very different. It was MAPS Prime. That program we got real creative with. And we created a program that teaches you how to prime your workouts properly. And because we had understood that priming your workout made a tremendous or properly priming your workout at least makes a tremendous impact on the results that you get with your workout and we knew that just a typical warm-up wasn't you know proper priming a typical warm-up is just getting your body moving stretching whatever but if you prime properly based on the per on the individual like i had done with so many of my clients they'd get better results so we created that program and then we created maps prime pro which is just correctional we we in we got the help of uh, Dr. Justin Brink, who's just this movement genius and created that program. So those are our found, our fundamental programs. And then we had, we have maps anywhere, which is equipment free for people like to work out at home. And 
that's pretty much all the programs we have. And I don't know if we're going to create any more, but uh, we wanted to be able to provide something for everybody and provide, you know, a way for people to be able to train, you know, and go through different programs long term so mm-hmm. that they're not stuck in the same. Because, you know, I'm sure you know as well as any as anybody who trains people, you know, uh, variety uh, done properly it gets your body to continue to respond and adapt and change. And if you stay in the same modality, same way of training, the same rep ranges, the same whatever, not only does it increase risk of injury and all that stuff, but uh, your body stops responding. It just does a very good job of adapting and then it stops. And even just having like a goal that's long-term or like a long-term plan, right? So you can start looking at that, like the macro perspective of maybe getting in better shape over a course of a year or two years, three years, instead of like three weeks. A lot of the programs, you know, that are in magazines or online are always like, you know, get in shape in seven days, 14 days, but having like a long-term plan that you can walk through and see the improvements and then change it up and keep you interested, right? Well, I mean, you know, if you've, if, for anybody who's ever trained anybody for any length of period of time as a, as a professional, we know that those kind of programs are bullshit. We know that. Like, and so, you know, could we have created a 30 days to ripped, you know, program or, a, you know, you know, you know, three, you know, three weeks and get shredded or, you know, three weeks and get, you know, 50, add 50 pounds to your squat and all that stuff. Could we do that and probably sell more, more programs? Absolutely. That's why the fitness industry does that. But because our background was in, in, in training people for as long as we have, we knew, um, uh, you know, and our integrity just didn't allow us to. We, it didn't allow us to, to create the, you know, bullshit programs. So we tell people our best program is, you know, what we call our super bundle, which, in, which combines a lot of these other programs, which is a year of exercise programming. So I don't think anybody else tells people that, you know, hey, you want to get in shape? Here, you're going to work out for a year. You know, it's not sexy. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't sound great and all, but I think luckily, too, the, the consumer, the average consumer is more informed than they used to be. And I think people are starting to appreciate it because we've now heard the bullshit for so long that people are starting to get, you know, uh, they're starting to kind of see it a little bit more, you know, the, the old before and afters and all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's working for us at the moment, but we're, we're, we're not, we're definitely not doing the, the tried and true way of making money in fitness. That's for sure. So you were talking about frequency, kind of how you were implementing frequency into your maps programs. This is kind of something that I have been interested in. I wanted to get more on that. I have heard it might've even been from mind pump, but I heard like an analogy of sandpaper on your hand. Was that you guys? Or is that, have you heard that before? Yes. Yeah. I, about for the listeners out there, like, you can rub sandpaper on the back of your hand until your skin is just raw, like pink and raw, bleeding even. And you, if you don't let it heal up, right, if you rub it completely raw down to the down to the pink flesh and you rub it completely raw and without letting it heal, then you're not going to be able to grow that back, right? That, yes, that's, uh, that's correct. Um, but, uh, you know, all of the systems of – of adaptation in the body kind of work this way. You know, uh, another example I like to give is, um, the way your skin adapts to the, the, the rays of the sun, right? You go outside and the UV rays cause some damage and your skin, uh, attempts to adapt to that and prevent further damage by becoming darker. That's how you get a tan. Now you could technically go outside and fry the shit out of yourself once a week. Or you could get a little bit of exposure every single day. Which one is going to result in a better tan, a faster tan, and a more effective tan, right? Right. The the frequent exposure. Resistance training isn't any different. The cool thing now is that the studies are proving this. They're actually proving this now. You you know, there's a few studies now that have taken groups of men and they'll tell them to do a typical body part split routine where they're doing, let's say 15 sets for a body part, like Monday, like today I'm going to do 15 sets for chest and I'm not going to hit my chest again until next Monday. Then they'll take another group and they'll say, okay, you're going to do the same amount of sets. 
So same sets, total volume for the week. But instead of doing 15 on Monday, you're going to do five on Monday, five on Wednesday, and five on Friday. Same total, same volume, except the you're, you're stimulating or at least you're hitting the muscle or sending that signal three days that week instead of once. And every study has shown that it's superior. It's, abs- it's superior to stimulate or to send a more frequent signal. I had mentioned earlier that muscle protein synthesis, that we can measure that, which is a, a, a kind of tells us how muscles are building. And we know that that, mus- that protein synthesis signal peaks after you lift weights at about, I don't know, 48 to 72 hours, and then it drops considerably, regardless of the volume and intensity that you hit it with on that day. So it, that also proves that it makes sense to hit it more frequently. We also have studies now that show that they've, they've taken people and instead of doing, you know, 15 sets, five sets Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they'll do, you know, two or three sets every day. So now you're doing same amount of volume, but now you're doing six, t- you know, six days of frequency. And guess what they're finding? That builds more muscle than the other one. And so frequency or frequency of, of sending this signal is, uh, it is extremely important, and it is it is hugely overlooked. But you also have to consider that it's you know you got to consider intensity, you got to consider all these different things, and consider that the body, uh, the way that the body adapts. But uh, at the end of the day, the, the the thing that we've that we've been very consistent with is that frequency is something that should be uh, at the top of your list of you know factors in terms of getting your body to adapt and build muscle and strength to whatever you're doing and it's like learning something right if you want to be a better pitcher do you go outside and pitch for eight hours in one day or do you you know pitch for an hour every single day I mean yeah it it just it works across the board it works with resistance training so these old you know this this paradigm that we've been sold about you know building muscle these body part splits hit one body part a day you know and, and hit it hard and then let it rest for a week you know, those were based on, you know, uh, bodybuilders who, on number one, have uh, vastly superior genetics when it comes to building muscle. They probably have this elevated muscle building signal that lasts much longer than the average person. Trust me, we have nothing, most people have nothing in common with these bodybuilders. They just build muscle on their own. And then on top of it, they're on a shit ton of anabolic steroids. They don't, they can get away with training that way. They don't need to worry so much about sending this, this signal. But for the average, you know, natural person who lifts weights, that muscle building signal, it goes down very quickly. So frequency should be a priority. And this is one of the reasons why the programs that we created, the MAPS programs, are extremely successful. People do them and they're like, holy shit, man, like the first three weeks I've hit, I'm hitting PRs, I'm building more muscle and I've been training for years, you know. So Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, I kind of, I grew up on a farm like I was telling you earlier and so I built like this, this great, this great, uh, home gym out in one of our sheds, right? Like basically in a barn and I had a weight set with, uh, just like an Olympic set of weights, a bench, uh, and then odd things, right? Like tires, um, barrels filled with water, uh, different things like that. Stones, these kind of things. Um, and for like a long time, that's how I trained was like really pushing myself hard like four or five sessions a week, hour and a half, you know, just dead afterwards, would go in, sit on the couch and feel like I was going to die. And it was that intensity that I think held me back a lot. Like when I first started training, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you get sore, right? You get, you get sore legs or something. If you have this crazy, crazy workout, you would do your legs or something once a week and you just hammer them you're sore for the rest of the week and you're immobile because of that. It's just kind of miserable. And I mean, just lately, like since January, since January or February, I was around 200 pounds around then, about 195 pounds. And I've been doing different frequency training now and trying to increase the frequency, especially like how you guys refer to them as uh, focus sessions, right? Yeah, sure. That's how you'd... Right. So doing separate, small, light, low intensity days on like arms and shoulders. And now it's September, end of September. And I'm like 175 pounds, which was on purpose. And then arms and shoulders are bigger than they were at 195 pounds. 
Oh, it's, and, it's it, it works, man. It, it totally yeah, works. It, big difference. And you feel way better. You feel way better. I mean, when your body wants to build muscle, it will. Uh, we have this, this idea in our mind that we need to like force our bodies to build muscle and beat the shit out of our bodies. And that's not entirely correct. It, definitely your body doesn't want to build muscle on its own because it's expensive tissue. Uh, you know, in other words, it costs a lot of calories, but, uh, it'll, it, it will want to build muscle if it thinks it's in its best interest. Um, and you know, when it comes to, you know, here's the other thing you want to consider when you're, when you're training, it's not just your muscles that you're, that you're, you're causing damage to, or that you that need to recover. It's also, there's other, other, other systems in the body, in particular, the central nervous system. And people don't realize this, like you hammer yourself with too much intensity your muscles may recover after a few days, but your central nervous system may still be affected. And if your central nervous system isn't where it, where it should be at, you could train perfectly all you want. It ain't going to do shit. Um, the CNS, in fact, the central nervous system, you should probably pay more attention to. The athletes that do this best, by the way, are the ones that have the most, that have had the most science and study behind them when it comes to weight training, and that's Olympic athletes. Olympic athletes by far more than powerlifters, bodybuilders, anything, any other weight training sport have had the most money, time, and energy spent in research. In particular, uh, you had the, like the Soviet Union when they existed. They had, you know, it was state funded. And if you look at how Olympic lifters train, they train with high frequency, lots of practice. You know, these guys are doing, they're in there practicing with sub-maximal weight, and they're practicing their movements, and they're doing it, you know, every single day. And they're getting, I mean, and I don't think anybody will argue that those are not the strongest pound-for-pound pound athletes uh, that you'll find. They're just incredibly, incredible, ridiculous strength. And what they've learned to do is just maximize their central nervous system more than their muscles, more than anything else. And so, you know, I like to make this point on, on the show all the time, and I think it resonates with people. But the central nervous system, if you were to compare it to your muscles, you want to think of your muscles as speakers. Uh, and your central nervous system is an amplifier. So, you know, if I have these great speakers in my car, but I have a shitty amp, the sound's going to be terrible. It's not going to work. It doesn't matter how big and great my speakers are. I need to have a great amplifier. In fact, the amplifier is probably more important um, than the speakers are. And when you train to failure, when you hammer your body, the part of your body that gets affected the most is your central nervous system, even after muscles and everything feel recovered. And, you know, here's a great example of how uh, you can, how the central nervous system affects your strength and performance. You could have an athlete that is training perfectly, eating right, everything is great, they're ready to compete, they, you know, 10 minutes before they walk out to the platform and they're feeling great, everything's in peak condition, they get a phone call, somebody very close to them has just died, okay? Just devastating news. If they go out and compete and, and, and go out on that platform and lift with that in their mind, the odds are that their lift will be uh, uh, a lot worse. They're not going to be as strong. They've gotten this devastated grief, you know, from the, this news. That's their central nervous system that got affected. Their muscles aren't, haven't gotten any, any effect whatsoever. Uh, the central nervous system is affected by sleep, stress, mindset, you know, temperature outside. You know what I mean? You, you, if you, mm -hmm. you, you ever wonder why we're so sluggish uh, when we're really hot? Uh, your, it's not your muscles, it's your central nervous system gets to, kind of gets into this, this parasympathetic state. Um, so uh, that's another thing to consider when, it, when you're training at super, super high intensities is that your muscles may recover, but your CNS may not. And it's this, the sustainability thing, right? That's something I talk about all the time on my podcast is that like for successful, for a successful lifestyle change, which like is what's important, you need a sustainable training program. You need a sustainable nutrition program. You need to do everything consistently, like for that, you know, long-term macro time period. And if you're just hammering yourself every single day, then it's not that sustainable. Eventually, you'll fall off. You'll get in that cycle. So, I mean, that's huge too, just to be able to not hammer your body and keep, you know, that signal going see the results, but then have it be sustainable as well. It's, let me tell you, you will leave, if you do it right, you leave, you will leave your workout feeling energized. Okay. Most people, and that's leave, so different than most people, most people leave their workout and they feel like they're dead or I get, you yeah. know, I can't walk. I just hit my legs. I can barely move. You should leave your workout feeling like, fuck man, I feel so good. 
uh, it's a great feeling when the body wants to build muscle. You feel fantastic. You're not you're not pushing something uphill. It's just rolling downhill and things are working for you. And that's why when you train properly, and again, we've taken so much focus o- off of training programming and the science behind it over the last, you know, 10 years or even longer, where it's all about supplements, uh, protein intake and anabolic steroids even, that uh, people don't realize that your exercise programming how you program it and how you apply it is extremely important. It makes a huge difference in how your body responds. You know, I see all these guys lifting weights and, you know, uh, you know, they're talking about what supplements they're taking and stuff. And you look at their routines, they all look the same. And it's like, have you thought about changing your routine and, and, and trying some different stuff, see what happens? It always blows people away. And it's about that, re- that relationship to exercise too, right? Um, like having a good relationship to exercise, enjoying it, enjoying how it makes you feel. That's something I talk about a lot too is the sustainability, but also like building a good relationship to your exercise, to your body, to your food that you are encouraged instead of discouraged by everything that you go through. I know you guys talk a lot about like your relationship to food on Mind Pump. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so important to something that a lot of people underestimate is like how you associate your workouts in in your day, how you associate just looking in the mirror to your day or how do you associate, you know, eating a meal for your day? Yeah. Um, and this is just, this is for everybody. Um, it's different for people in fitness, but it's similar in the sense that we have been taught, um, since we were children to ignore our natural systems of hunger, satiety, and, uh, you know, when our body tells us we need to eat certain things and what that means, like you can talk to most, most adults and you, most adults have not gone longer than a day without food. Okay. So when people say they're hungry, ma, I'm starving. No, you're not. You're not starving. You actually, you're craving something. We don't know what that feels like. We don't know what it feels like to actually feel like true hunger. And I don't mean you don't need to starve, but to feel true hunger. We know for a fact, for an absolute fact, that humans evolved going for long periods of time without food. You know, the average person, average healthy person could go 10 days without food at all and have zero negative effects on their body and, in fact, will have many, many positive effects on the body. Now, you you can't do this with a lot of animals. You can't, you know, there's a lot of animals that, you know, especially, you know, herbivores, you take them away from food for a couple of days and they have some real negative effects. Humans go for a long time. And it's because we evolved that way. We evolved to go without food for long periods of time because food was scarce. So we don't know what it's like to really feel like what real hunger is. We associate cravings and emotional connections and, and conditioning with hunger. It's like going to the movies and wanting popcorn when you never want popcorn at any other time. But now all of a sudden you want popcorn. We've been conditioned that way, right? Or... Mm-hmm. You know, breakfast foods. Like, who the fuck invented? Think about it. Like, why are there breakfast foods anyway? Like, if I tell you, you know, uh, name some breakfast foods to a bunch of people, they're all going to name similar foods. Eggs, bacon, you know, milk, cereal, toast, you know, orange juice. You know, we've just been conditioned to eat these foods. Same thing for lunch, same thing for dinner. Uh, We've also been conditioned to ignore our natural signals of satiety, you know, of, of when you need to stop eating. You know, when we're kids, we're hammered to clean our plates. We're pushed to finish everything on our plate and to eat all this food. And even if you don't want to eat and you feel full, and so we learn to ignore it. And, of course, later on, you know, that fucks us. And then we're, we ha- now we have to, like, start to relearn how to, like, restrict ourselves. And that's all crazy. And then on top of it, we have a an industry that's been around for a long time now, the food industry, that spends most of their money – most of the money that is spent on food is on research and development for two things, palatability, how good it tastes, and for marketability. Very little goes into actual nutrition of food. That's very, very little money goes into that. Uh, they meet the whatever standards and then they're done. Everything else is how good we can make it taste and how great we can market it. Palatab- and how... And how little filling to make it instead of more filling, right? So they can sell more of it. Well, that's what palatability is. Like, but it's part of palatability. Like, if you consider, you know, think about this. 
you know, have you ever eaten something that was really good, but then you, you eat so much of it that you're kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm sick of it. I don't want anymore. But then you're introduced to a completely different flavor and all of a sudden you have an appetite. You know, mm-hmm. most of us can relate, right? Like we'll eat this big dinner, totally stuffed. I had my steak, my baked potato, whatever. Uh, I'm full. And then, oh, we got, you know, we got pie coming out. We got ice cream. Now it's something sweet. All of a sudden, I feel like I can eat more. Uh, professional. That's a, and that's, yeah. Well, yeah, I think you're just about to say it. Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, well, professional food eaters. They know yeah, this. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. People who compete in food competitions know this. Uh, you know, there's this, uh, this one example of the, uh, the guy who's on, was it man versus food? I think is the name of the show where he had to eat, uh, this massive amount of ice cream and he was, he couldn't finish it. And this guy's like a, you know, this is what he does for a living. Couldn't finish it. So he ordered a large French fries, started eating the savory French fries. And now he could eat more ice cream. And that's because our brains are wired this way because when we evolved, overeating could also pose a problem. Now, of course, we evolved with lots of scarcity, but I'm sure there were moments when we were presented with a shit ton of food too. Like I just had this successful kill or, oh my God, I just came upon this, you know, this field of, you know, of berries or, or edible tubers or whatever. And if you overate as a caveman, you could pose yourself problems too. You could make yourself sick. You could cause, cause gastrointestinal distress. Um, and both of which could potentially mean you would die, right? So there's these natural signals or, 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 or these natural systems of our body that tell us when we need to stop eating. And they evolved in an environment of basic foods, foods that ran, foods that swam, foods that flied or grew. And they were basic and they were plain and we didn't season anything. And it was just, you know, you, you ate it, right? But uh, today we've got all this engineering that goes into our food that takes all these different flavors, all these different colors and textures and smells, because all these things uh, contribute to our brains, uh, the way that perceives palatability. Color in, in particular uh, is, is one of them people don't even realize. Like if I made a food an unpalatable color, you're going to eat less of it and, you know, manufacturers have experimented this with this before where they'll take like ketchup and they'll make it black and uh, they'll sell less of it because people don't want to eat black ketchup they want red ketchup so all these things that they combine and engineer into your food is designed to hijack your brain's systems of satiety and so you eat more so we've got that on top of all those other things i talked about and then there's the connection of food to you know, my body image, you know, how I look. And now I connect that to my self image and I want to lose weight. And now food is a, either a reward or a punishment and exercise becomes a punishment. So you've got all this shit surrounding food. It's no wonder we have issues eating food. If we simply went back and relearned how to understand these signals in our body and, and separated our body image from our self image, we would find that eating healthy would be much more natural than eating unhealthy. And we do talk a lot about uh, about that on the show. And it's it's a, a hard concept for people to understand. I think when I explain it the way I just did, people start to kind of get an idea. But it's uh, it takes a while. It takes a while to yeah, get your... Yeah, it's a process. Your, oh, yeah. You got to relearn everything. Definitely. Mm-hmm. What about like your relationship to yourself, your relationship to like your weight, for example, or like looking yourself in the mirror? Because in college athletics, like, where I work, it's strength and conditioning. So I see all these different teams and, you know, each team member has maybe a different goal. Like a baseball player wants to weigh 200 pounds, just to weigh 200 pounds, right? Just to be big and strong, which is the number they put in their head or their teammates put in their head. Uh, or like a, a tra- like a female hurdler for the track team or something like wants to get lighter and lighter, right? She has like a, sure. just a concept that she wants to be really light. And part of that is because, like, they're weighed publicly and often, right? Like, I mean, we do it. We have to. We weigh them in front of the whole team, in front of the coaches, teammates, and take their body fat just constantly. And they really look at those numbers and, like, define themselves by those numbers, which I mean, I think can be unhealthy. And I've seen it, like, carry over past when someone's athletic career would be over. Oh, let me tell so, you, some of the hardest people to train are ex-athletes. Yeah. Because of this, these these crazy relationships that they've created with exercise and nutrition. 
um, you know, where you've got this this female client who was a collegiate level, you know, high level swimmer competitor who was in the pool, you know, six hours a day and just developed this poor relationship with nutrition and exercise. And years later now, she doesn't know how to eat right. She's, you know, 60 pounds overweight. She has kids. And the only way she knows how to work out to get in shape is to beat the shit out of herself because that's what she associates with how she was when she was what she considers her best you know shape um you know it's uh, it's a big problem i think the key behind all of it because then you also have people who are not who aren't athletes who have issues like you know the the girl who constantly feels like she's too fat or the guy who doesn't feel like he's big enough and you know is going to force feed himself and you know do things to his body to try and build more muscle it really goes down to one root problem and that is that we confuse or combine body image with self-image you know one thing you have to understand is you are not your body you're in your body you know that's the thing that you get to move around in and, and use or whatever but that's not you okay um and people can debate this all they want but i will win this argument because everybody gets old at some point at some fucking point you're not going to look the way you want. You're not going to be able to move the way you want. You're not going to be as strong as you as you as you want to be. So if you don't learn to separate the two, you're going to be you're going to have a tough time with life. So understand that you are not your body. You are that is not who you are. You're not your thoughts. You are not the stuff you put in your mouth. Those are just things you do. So don't confuse the two because when your body becomes who you are and you identify with it, you are going to, it is going to motivate you to exercise and eat in a way that will not serve you. You know, if, if I am, if I think I'm my body and I hate the way I look or whatever, and I'm dieting, I'm trying to lose weight and, oh shit, you know, today I partied with my, you know, yesterday I partied with my friends and I ate, you know, a bunch of fast food and drank a lot of alcohol. How do you think I'm going to work out today? Right. I'm going to treat my workout like a punishment. Like I, I need to punish myself because I've identified so much with my body. Instead, if I don't identify with my body and I'm object- objective about it and I can look in the mirror and I can see the stuff I want to work on, but I don't identify with it. And the day after I party, I go to the gym and I think to myself like, man, I feel shitty. I feel tired. I, I worked out really. I mean, I, I, I didn't get much sleep yesterday. I ate shitty. I'm kind of inflamed. I think the best workout for me today is going to be slower, more stretching, uh, and I need more sleep. It's going gonna, it's gonna to drive me or motivate me to make the right decisions with my training, not the wrong ones. And that's really the root of all of it. If you can separate the two, then you you can be objective. You can manipulate workouts and diet to change the way you look, but don't attach to it because once you attach to it, you're fucked. At some point, you're going to fuck yourself. Yeah, I'm so glad you went there. That's super important. That's something that's kind of been on my mind a lot, just seeing these different situations. I think that's, that's huge. It's so important for people to get a hold on. What, uh, I mean... I kind of talk to people, a lot of my listeners, about setting goals based on health first, right? And then letting kind of the aesthetics or letting some of the physical goals come later instead of basing everything around the physical goals or looking more internally instead of externally, like with training specifically. Wait, uh, so explain that again. Uh, I just mean like instead of being attached like a number on the scale or a body fat percentage to maybe focus on how you feel like your energy your health oh for just sure. to kind of show people like it's okay to be like a girl for example it's okay to be 160 pounds if you have high energy you're strong and you feel good right and you're healthy well the irony of it is this this is this is true 100 percent. if you're constantly chasing uh the cosmetic uh, if you're constantly chasing how you look and that's your m- entire motivation for your exercise and diet, you will, uh, you'll get some improvement in the way you look and you'll probably get no improvement or negative effects on your health, especially in the long, in the long term. Okay. If you chase health, optimal health, then you will get a lot of optimal health and you'll get a lot of the cosmetic as a side effect. That's the irony. The irony is if you focus on how you feel and your health, you will, as a side effect, get all of the cosmetic effects that you want in terms of how you look. Nothing is more attractive than healthy. It's, it's just a fact. 
So, you know, remember that, you know, if someone's listening right now and, and they just want to look good, you know, if you focus on feeling good and you focus on your health, you're going to look good too. You know, if you just focus on your looks, you might get some looks, but you're not going to get the health. And at some point that poor health is going to reflect in how you look and then you'll lose it all. How do you balance that though? Like when you're like, say you have a client and they aren't motivated like to even start exercising, right? Maybe they're a little older, maybe they're middle aged, maybe they haven't been exercising and they haven't established that habit yet. How do you balance like the internal and external goals or the motivations? Because I mean, like this past year, like I wanted bigger shoulders as I cut down in weight or something like it was a physical goal. I was focused on the health thing too, or maybe like a girl wants to like grow her glutes or something. How do you balance? Like, I don't think it's wrong to have an external goal. I'm just wondering, like, how would you balance both of those health goals and physical goals so you can stay motivated? Like if you're, well, you, if you need the physical goal, you got to sell it. You got to sell it to them. I mean, uh, you know, if I know someone's super motivated by j just how they look, I need to sell it to them that they're going to look their best if we focus on health. Okay. And then eventually they start to get it as they start to feel it. The other thing too, is you need to meet people where they're at. So, you know, when I was, when I had my wellness facility, um, and I was training clients, my average client stayed with me for, uh, eight to 10 years, which is way above the industry, uh, you know, average in terms of how long clients stay with uh, their trainers. One of the reasons for the success was I met my clients where they were. So if I had a client who came in who is like, listen, I can only make it once a week. Like that's all I'm going to, that's all I can do. That's okay. We'll, we'll do the best we can with that once a week and I'll train you exactly where you're at. And over time that client ended up working out, you know, three, four, five days a week versus the, you know, the old, you know, me or the way a lot of trainers do it is they'll tell the client, well, it's, it's going to be a waste of time. You got to do at least three days a week. Let's get you in here. We're going to motivate you. We're going to push you. And they don't meet the client where they're at and they get good results in a short period of time. Then the client stops working out and they never see him again. So meet the person where they're at. Something is better than nothing and move them there slowly when they're ready and you will have long-term success. Um, I haven't owned the wellness studio now for a couple years now since we've been doing Mind Pump and every single one of those clients still works out on their own consistently. And that's, for me, that's success. That's success because before that, before I really learned how to do that properly, you know, my success rate was terrible. I'd have clients that would, if they, especially if they weren't with me anymore, they'd stop working out. Like, well, gee, I haven't really succeeded in anything. I've just done a good job of making them enjoy the workouts with me. But then when I'm not around, what are they really doing? What's happening? They're not working out anymore. Right. Uh, well, let's wrap it up a little bit. Uh, what are you excited about? What are you guys at Mind Pump excited about right now? What's getting you fired up to keep on coming out with great content? What's your some projects you're going for? Well, I uh, love meeting new people. Um, you know, this podcast has given us the ability to do that. Uh, you know, some big names, smaller names, but just interesting individuals. Uh, I'm really excited about we are going to start to move into what uh, me, Adam, and Justin enjoy more than anything, and that's training trainers. We love to train trainers to be successful, more successful trainers, both in business and in their personal lives. And so uh, in October, I believe October 21st, we have a train the trainer seminar that we're going to be doing for free at our facility. And it's, uh, it's free because we kind of want to get a feel for what people want us to coach them on. And then after that, we'll probably create some kind of a certification program. But I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about getting into that world of training fitness professionals, teaching them how to do, you know, uh, better in business, how to do better with their clients. Um, and through that, we know that we're going to influence the fitness industry uh, much more because those are the people that disseminate the information. That's great. No doubt. I need to come out there and check that out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, if you keep on, just keep us all in the loop, listeners of Mind Pump. Keep us in the, the loop of uh, when you're doing more of those. It sounds great. Excellent. Where, where, where can we find you, Sal? Where can we find you? Where can we find your crew? So my personal Instagram page is Mind Pump Sal, and then the Mind Pump Show has an Instagram page, Mind Pump Media. 
The podcast is Mind Pump on iTunes. And then we have an awesome YouTube channel where we post a new video uh, every day. We have uh, fitness uh, videos, exercise videos, uh, you know, you know, fitness, wellness, nutrition topics, but we also have some comedy on there. Uh, it's mind pump TV. Go on there, subscribe. Uh, our goal with that channel is to make it the best source of fitness information and entertainment, uh, on YouTube. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. I definitely appreciate you joining me and coming into the podcast, giving out some great information to the listeners. I'm sure they all appreciate it too. Thanks. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime, anytime I can get a great guest on like you guys, I jump at it. So, uh, definitely grateful for that. Guys, if you're a triple F podcast listener, be sure to leave a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show so you can get these downloads automatically into your device. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, just go to www.triplefpodcast.com slash contact. The word triple, the letter F, podcast.com slash contact. This is Jordan Stoltz, your host, and this is my interview with Sal Stefano from Mind Pump. Thank you, guys, and see you next episode. Thank you for listening to the Triple F Podcast. Please leave a five-star iTunes review and share the podcast with your friends and family. Tune in next time for more great tips on fitness, food, and freedom.